It's Midday Magazine for Thursday, August 10th. I'm Shelby Herbert. Black cod could be a growing problem for salmon hatcheries across the state. As KFSK's Thomas Copeland reports, climate change is warming the Gulf of Alaska and bolstering black cod populations. Salmon hatcheries aren't for the faint-hearted. Ryan Schumann runs this hatchery in Cake for the Northern Southeast Regional Aquaculture Association, or ENSRA. Once enough chum swim up Gunnock Creek, Schumann seals their fate. We'll close that gate and hit the winch button and force them into the building. Next comes what Schumann calls the shocker. Okay, so you electrocute them to stun them? Yes, so uh, females and males respectively. You can see one right next to the other there and how he's got those gnarly teeth and she's just kind of got this cute little round head. Finally, a bash on the head with a mini metal baseball bat and it's lights out. The females slide down one chute and out come their bright orange eggs. Returns that day were okay, but across the whole season, they are not. The reason? Not enough four-year-olds. And most chums spawn when they're four. The goal was to collect 20 million eggs this season. They've ended up with less than half of that. And Schumann thinks he knows why. When the four-year-olds were released from here as fry back in 2020, they immediately came face to face with a mortal enemy, juvenile black cod. The water surface just started frothing and popping with these juvenile black cod that seemingly came out of nowhere and just frothed the surface eating these fish. Those black cod, also called sable fish, were hungry over near Sitka too. Ben Adams is Ensra's research manager. In 2020, he took a video during a dive underneath the rearing pens at Metaviji Hatchery on Baranoff Island. We got in the water and it was just remarkably dark at first, was kind of the first thought that went into my head. So I'm starting to feel kind of disoriented and a little bit of vertigo. Um, and finally, what I recognized that I was inside of this giant school of juvenile black cod where the fish were kind of swimming a big vortex around me. So Adam's got a special permit to drag the pens six miles out and then release the chum. But was that enough to save the salmon from becoming black cod dinner? Well, now Adam's isn't optimistic. You see, most chum returns to Medivigi come in later than in cake. But you can predict how many four-year-olds will return by looking at how many three-year-olds came back the year before. And last year, the return rate was tiny, just 0.04%. 0.04% is horrific. It was abysmal. I mean, 2022, it just tanked to the worst that we'd ever seen. Those fall returns are a late-season lifeline to fishermen, but this year, the fisheries around Medivigi will have to be limited. So, why were there so many black cod in 2020? Dana Hanselman is the director of Auk Bay Laboratories, a federal program which studies commercial fish species. He says sable fish spawn in deep water, and then the larvae need help getting out of there. And so it's incumbent upon the the circulation patterns to be able to transport those larvae into the nursery areas that are in bays and, you know, coastal areas. In warmer years, there's often increased circulation that moves them faster to shore. Hanselman says that as water temperatures in the Gulf of Alaska have risen this past decade, so too have black cod numbers. 
So every year class since 2014 has been at least twice average. And then some of them, like 2019, look to be at least five times bigger than average. So 2019 into 20, there were five times as many black cod as there have been on average. Exactly. Plus, these fish are not picky eaters. Sable fish are a voracious and opportunistic predator. And by opportunistic, I mean they'll eat anything. They'll eat it quickly. Now, hatchery managers Schumann and Adams predict that next year's returns will be much better. But if water temperatures continue to rise, black cod could pose an increasing threat to salmon hatcheries and the fishermen who rely on them. Back in Cake, though, Schumann says that for the salmon, it's just another peril in an unforgiving life cycle. That's a cruel old way to go, but I suppose they're going to die anyway, aren't they? Yeah, they are. They're either going to be eaten by a bear or a seal or an eagle or... Or gobbled up by more and more black cod. From Cake, I'm Thomas Copeland. Troopers seized an estimated 50,000 worth of illegal drugs from a tent at the Salmon Fest Music Festival in Nilchik this weekend. According to an affidavit from Alaska State Troopers, officers were tipped off by festival security about psychedelic mushrooms being sold from a campground near the fairgrounds. Troopers located Joshua Brown of Anchorage, operating under the name Charlie Hustle. Brown was on parole for a first-degree assault out of Anchorage and was not allowed to travel outside of the Anchorage area or possess controlled substances as conditions of his parole. In Brown's tent, troopers say they found meth, cocaine, psilocybin mushrooms, LSD, and hundreds of grams of an unknown substance suspected to be a synthetic drug. Troopers estimated the street value of all the drugs in Brown's tent to be around $50,000. Brown is charged with eight total counts, four charges of misconduct involving a controlled substance in the third degree, and four charges of the same crime in the fifth degree. The affidavit says troopers expect to bring more charges once the seized drugs are weighed and identified. Juneau residents displaced by record-breaking flooding along the Mendenhall River are still figuring out what's next. Meanwhile, some are being reunited with personal belongings they believed lost forever. Adeline Baxter spoke to locals helping with the cleanup effort about what they found. Local photographer Michael Penn was kayaking back from a camping trip with his family Sunday when they entered a debris field just off Douglas Island near where the Mendenhall River flows into the ocean. I looked down the water and then there was this Ziploc bag just floating there, full of pictures. There's probably, I don't know, between 60 and 80 pictures in there. I know how precious pictures are. They'd been out of cell service range for the last few days. When they checked their phones, they learned about the glacial outburst flood and the homes destroyed along the Mendenhall River. Someone had put a label that said family on the bag. The seal had broken and the photos were soaked in salt water. Luckily, Penn has a print dryer left over from his darkroom photography days. He took the photos home, rinsed them, and dried them off. There's no damage to them. If they had sat in the water for any length of time, they probably would have fallen apart. He posted on Instagram, hoping to find the owners. The same day Penn found the photos, Letitia McRae was walking along the tideline of North Douglas, several miles from where the homes collapsed. She's been picking up trash in Juneau for about a decade, she runs a community Facebook page where she posts about her cleanups. There was this big tree in the tideline, and kind of up against the tree was this wood box. And I picked it up, and lo and behold, that little latch with no lock 
no nothing on it, was still closed. When she opened the wooden box, she found an old metal photograph and jewelry, including what looked like a wedding band with a name inscribed on it. She took it home and rinsed everything off, then posted a picture on Facebook asking for help. A few hours later, a commenter connected her with someone who lost their home in the flood. She returned the box to its owner that evening. That box made it. That turbulent river, and then it floated all the way across the channel and ended up on a beach still closed. I mean, it could have hit a tree and popped open, and all of that would have been lost forever. It was meant to make its way back to the family. On Monday, Penn went back to North Douglas with his family to continue the cleanup. He said they filled several bags. Imagine a house that's been ground up and spat out. Uh, We were finding roof material and ceiling trusses and broken furniture and just bits of plastic. Uh, There's insulation everywhere. Reports of furniture and building materials are popping up along the waters surrounding Juneau. The Alaska Department of Environmental Conservation has asked residents to report any fuel or heating oil tanks that may have been swept away or found washed up on the shore. The cleanup will take some time, but on Monday morning, McRae was back out on the beach looking for more trash to pick up or more treasures to reunite. Sometimes when you think it's all lost, it's not all lost. And sometimes the universe brings things back to you. Reporting from Anchorage, I'm Adeline Baxter. And an update to that story, Michael Penn was able to track down the owner of those photos. The U.S. Forest Service says it'll build 25 new recreation cabins in the Tongass and Chugach National Forests. The cabins won't all be built at once. The first seven cabins are out for bid and will be constructed next summer. That first wave of new cabins will be spread across southeast Alaska and the Kenai Peninsula. They're all on the road system, except for one, which is a rebuild of a cabin at the Anan Bear Observatory near Wrangell that was crushed by a tree during a storm over the winter. Other sites in the Tongass will be Mendenhall Campground in Juneau, Signal Creek Campground at Ward Lake in Ketchikan, and El Capitan Interpretive Site north of Nocatee on Prince of Wales Island. In the Chugach, cabins will be at Trail River in Moose Pass, at uh, Porcupine Campground in Hope, and at Meridian Lake in Seward. Don Collinsworth is Deputy Director of Recreation Lands and Minerals for the Alaska region. She says the Forest Service received over a thousand comments on where the cabins should go. Where we're citing these cabins is really where the public would like to see them, and because that just means they're going to get more use, which is the goal. Collinsworth says the new cabin sites are more accessible than many of the existing ones, which are only reachable by boat or plane or extreme hikes. What we wanted to make sure that we're doing is providing cabins that are more accessible and and reach sort of a broader cross-section of the public who would like to recreate, but perhaps don't have the physical capabilities of taking a, a long hike up a mountain. Congress appropriated the money for the cabins. Over $14 million of the years-long project is coming from the Bipartisan Infrastructure Law passed in 2021. The Forest Service is also getting around $3.7 million from the National Forest Foundation for the Cabins Project. After building the first seven cabins next summer, the agency plans to build 18 more over the coming summers. They don't know where all 18 will go. 
but they plan to have at least one in every district. That's eight districts in the Tongass and three districts in the Chugach. Rachel Weston is the regional recreation planner for the Forest Service. The cabins that were selected for this first round were the furthest along in the planning process, so they were kind of the, the most ready for construction. The remaining cabin locations are still being ground truthed to determine if it's viable to put a cabin in that spot, and um, the districts are still working through that. Districts with higher public demand might get more than one cabin, depending on the viability of the locations. Forest Service cabins in Alaska rent for between $35 and $75 a night. Island Trails Network, a Kodiak nonprofit focused on outdoor recreation, has been busy this summer. Crews and volunteers have added several improvements to the trails on the south end of Near Island. Brian Venois reports it's the next step on a major project around the small island. On a recent sunny Wednesday at Kodiak's Near Island, hikers were afoot along the freshly maintained forest trails. Travis Cooper is the executive director of Island Trails Network, which helps the city of Kodiak maintain hiking trails. One of their big projects this summer is to keep Near Island's South End trails usable. When we talk about trails, we're looking at the tread surface mainly. And that's kind of, when we say hardened, yeah, it's just the gravel goes on it. Uh, Gives you a little bit more durable of a surface um, that doesn't erode as fast as just our soil slash ash. Cooper says that during the pandemic, more people were hiking, including on the trails at Near Island. That means keeping a hard and consistent surface is more important than ever to keep people from wearing out forest floors. The nonprofit helps get gravel to sites to keep surfaces walkable, but they also keep an eye out for fallen trees and tripping hazards. And vegetation, as it grows, it can kind of start pushing trail users off of the durable surface here, the gravel that we put down. Mm-hmm. It was a lot of effort to put the gravel down. It's a sustainable um, principle. We really want people to stay on the gravel, so we have to maintain the corridor to keep people on the gravel as well. Marcus Dunbar is the crew leader for the project. He helps train volunteers to prep the ground and tells them where to lay out gravel. They spent the last summer building boardwalks on the South End trails too. So we did that and then this summer we were doing the South End Point and the Fence Line Trail and then next summer we want to do the Dog Bay Trail that goes through the woods. Dunbar says when they finish work on Near Island, all of the trails will connect to one large loop that's about four miles long. But they're not just putting in any kind of gravel. As trails edge closer to the water, the nonprofit has laid out fine rocks and shell fragments from nearby beaches. The goal is to make the transition feel natural from dense forests and meadows before approaching the waterline. That's why this using beach rock here is really cool. Because it's really kind of blends in well with your environment. The project to resurface trails around Near Island is ongoing, but they hope to finish adding gravel to the fence line trail by winter. Hiking Near Island, I'm Brian Venwa. For KFSK, I'm Shelby Herbert.